few weeks ago, Jennifer and I knew the time had come to get new carpeting on the second floor of our home. And we've lived in the same house for over 30 years, and it's been a long time since we'd recarpeted the four bedrooms that are on our second floor. And so we called a highly recommended carpet salesperson, and we worked out everything for getting this done. But the last thing that the sales lady said before she left our house was that I needed to move everything off of the floor on our second floor. Everything except the dressers and that the installers would move those around. Now, as I said earlier, we've lived in this house for over 30 years, and it wasn't the dressers I was worried about moving. It was emptying the closets. Uh, our house has good-sized closets, and they were stuffed, and I mean stuffed, full of, well, all the things that end up in a closet over 30 years. And to be honest, I went upstairs right after she said that, and I looked in the closets, and I panicked. I honestly panicked. And then I took a moment to catch my breath, and then I started moving everything that had any relationship to the floor down to two flights of stairs into our basement. Now, fortunately, I had a week to get all of this moved, and I just stayed at it, but it was a huge amount of stuff, huge amount of stuff. It was all the toys that we've kept when the grandchildren come to visit us. It was holiday decorations for every imaginable holiday. It was uh, wrapping paper in those gift bags and all that stuff that you have. And I, honestly, we had over a hundred picture frames in our closets. Just think about that for a minute. And we had boxes of pictures and boxes of videotapes I found in there. Um, bedding, memorabilia, well, all the you name it sort of things that end up in a closet. And my plan was to get everything down into our basement, and then we could sort through it all down there before we brought anything back upstairs. And by doing this, we could, to use our series title, we could tidy things up a bit. But here's what I didn't expect, and it's, it is related to the big idea of our series, and that's tidying up our souls uh, so we can follow Jesus more completely. And as I started to go through things, we found, as I said, boxes of older photographs in boxes labeled from the last century. And there were pictures in there of people who at the time were very close to us. Pictures of people we had shared the deepest aspects of our lives with. People who'd said they'd stand with us into eternity. And they were people who had abandoned us for various reasons, church decisions, theological, political differences, um, assumptions about us, and they'd left with accusations against us that had no basis in reality, at least as far as I was concerned. They're people who, for the most part, had simply dumped us without saying anything at all to us, but they were people who had said plenty of terrible, hurtful things to other people, lots of other people that had all come back to us. And as I looked at those faces from over 20 years ago, the anger just exploded. Apparently, the scar 
or the scars over the wounds from those times were very thin. And the anger that filled me is something I'm ashamed to admit. But there was clearly anger residing in the closets in my soul. I am a fairly level-headed person. I actually have a reputation for being steady in difficult and even tragic moments. I also know that as a pastor, a continual low-grade fever of sadness is an expectation, and that it's impossible not to walk with some amount of an emotional limp due to the way that some treat pastors. I know that. Still, this anger surprised me. And it really altered the way I needed to approach this sermon because you see, I knew weeks before we ordered that carpet that I would be speaking about tidying up and tossing the anger out of our lives this week. And I'd already thought a good deal about scriptural references to use and about what I would say and how I would say it and then boom, I had the clenched fist and it wouldn't loosen up. Human anger comes in all sorts of packages. Some people have quick, unexpected rage that blows up, and then it just as quickly subsides. It's the kind of anger that shocks others, and it's an anger that is, is often over nothing particularly important. It just is fiery, and it, and it keeps others in a constant state of fear that it might come up, and it can pass away quickly, but with little explanation and almost never an apology. You might know someone like this, or you might be someone like this. Then there are others who live in a continual state of smoldering rage. They're filled with resentment towards any number of people or circumstances, and they assume the world is conspiring against them People with this kind of anger, they will say things and act out in ways that show that they're always upset about something. From my experience, a person with this kind of anger is usually not the life of the party. And there are also people, I guess people like me, who stuff their resentment deep down into their soul someplace. And they live, for the most part, like they're above being angry. Um, and then something triggers it. And the anger surfaces with an unexpected ferocity. And when it comes, you better look out. And I could go on and on defining the ways that we get angry. But the focus of today isn't on how anger shows itself. It's on the fact, on the fact that if we are going to be tidying up our souls, if we are cleaning out the closets of our lives so that we can best live for Jesus, then we need to work at throwing out our anger. And this need to tidy up our anger is something that the Bible talks about over and over, the downsides of anger are everywhere in the scripture. They're in the stories of the Old Testament. They're in the Proverbs. They're in the teachings of Jesus. 
Possibly the most powerful statement, though, on our need to toss out our anger is found in the book of James. In James 1, verses 19 to 27, let's all turn to that together. We're going to look at this passage today. Let's all turn and see what James had to say about clearing out our anger. And while you're looking that up, James 1, 19 I just want to say hello to everybody that's online. I'm so glad that you're with us. I have heard from a number of people from last evening that were online, and so we know you're there, and we're so glad you're with us. We're so glad. But before we read these verses, I uh, want to give you a little bit of background on the book of James to put some of what he says into context. Almost all is almost all scholars now believe that the writer of this letter was James the brother of Jesus. Now, whether he was Jesus's older brother, which would mean that Joseph had a wife who had children who died, and then he remarried Mary, whether he was one of those older kids, or whether he was a younger brother who was born to Mary after Jesus was born, so he's either an older brother or a younger brother, we're not sure. People debate it, and... It's just something we don't know for certain. But what isn't debated is that Jesus' brothers, and that would include this James who wrote this letter, they didn't initially follow Jesus at all. In fact, Matthew and Mark and Luke all tell us in their Gospels that Jesus' brothers tried to stop him from this preaching thing and to get him to come home with them to Nazareth and settle down. But what seems to have happened is that once Jesus was crucified and that he was raised from the dead, James had a deep conversion experience and he followed Jesus as his Lord and he eventually even ended up being the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And this letter was written as an encouragement to other Jewish followers of Jesus who had lived in Jerusalem during a time of great persecution. The persecution was so great that many of these Jewish Christians had been forced to flee out of the city for their lives. And James knew that these now scattered Christians who were living all over around Jerusalem, that they needed to be encouraged to do two things. Hold on to your faith and to live in a way that shows everybody that you're following Jesus. And so that's why he wrote this letter. And while we do know that, G that James was not initially taken by Jesus' preaching, he wasn't really down with it, when he got around to writing this letter, he actually writes in a manner that sounds like Jesus' preaching and teaching. Why, in this letter, he goes from idea to an idea quickly, which was just like Jesus' teaching. And he uses images to make his points. And that was just like Jesus' teaching. And in verse 19 of chapter 1, James gets incredibly direct, just like Jesus would often do in his teaching. And look at what James says in verse 19. He says, understand this. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, it isn't difficult to understand what James is trying to say in this verse. Uh, some scholars even believe that the back half of verse 19 
is simply a well-known proverb of the time. It's something like, oh, a penny saved is a penny earned. Like everybody knew it. It was just a common proverbial phrase. In fact, in the Greek, it even sounds in the Greek like something that someone would say as a proverb. I'll just say it in the Greek and you can, you can hear it. It, just, it goes, takus eis akusai, braudus eis laleisai, braudus eis ergain. Now, doesn't that rhyme and just sounds, kind of sounds like somebody, it's a thing that everybody would know. But it's be quick to listen, be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Then James goes on and says, human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Now just the mention of human anger speaks to something that was very common in Jewish thinking at the time. In Jewish thinking, there were two kinds of anger, two. One was human anger and the other was God's anger. And Human anger, it was believed, and I think they were onto something here, that human anger grew out of selfish emotions and it would rise up in people because of their resentments towards other people and towards circumstances. God's anger, on the other hand, had to do with God's disgust that he was having to deal with the same thing over and over in people. It's like God's anger was something like a judge who's in his court and he's seeing the same person for the 15th time having done the exact same thing and he has to bring justice on them again. And so his anger came from having to deal with the same terrible circumstance over and over and over. And so the Jewish people at the time thought there was a real difference between people getting angry and God getting angry. Human anger was wrong because it came from deep, selfish brokenness, and God's anger was absolutely justified because he was always seeking to bring justice to something that was just clearly wrong. Now, the literal Greek of this verse is this. It's, for the anger of mankind does not work the righteousness of God. And this is the biggest point in this whole passage for James, that human anger in any form does not, as James said, bring about the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. And now we have to stop. We have to stop and dig a bit because James uses a possessive form here, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but when he says man's anger does not lead to the righteousness of God, anytime we have a possessive like that, this righteousness that belongs to God in some manner, we have to think, what's he actually talking about? Here's what I mean. It's like this. When James says our anger does not lead to the righteousness of God, does he mean that our anger does not lead to righteousness that God gives to people? Part of our faith is that when we follow Jesus, God what? Grants us righteousness. He makes us right before him. And so, in other words, is James saying that our anger does not lead to righteousness from God to us? Or does he mean that our anger doesn't lead to righteousness in that it's not 
like God's righteousness. In other words, does our human anger, is, is our human anger and God's anger, are they, they always, is there any way for them to be sa- the same or how do I say it? It's just not like God. I know this is confusing, but then it says, or does he mean that our anger can't lead to the kind of righteousness that God wants to see in his world? Would that mean that our human anger can't be used to bring about righteousness for God? Again, I know this is a bit uh, pedantic, and scholars go round and round about it, but what they're trying to figure out was, did James mean to say that human anger can't ever be something from God, or like God, or for God? And here's what I say to that. I think all of this is true. Bottom line, our anger, anger that grows out of purely selfish human sources, can never be something that's from God. And it can never be like God. And it can never be used for God. What James is trying to say here is that there is nothing righteous in any way about human anger, ever, no matter how you want to parse the Greek. And this begs the question, what does righteousness of God look like? What does the righteousness of God look like? Well, James answers that question in verse 26 and 27. Let's look at what he says here. He says, if you claim to be religious, that word that gives us uh, religious there, the word is threxos threxos in the Greek, and it means something like this. You're consistently doing what your faith tells you to do. In other words, James is saying, if you claim to be someone who consistently does what your faith is calling you to do, but you don't control your tongue, which by the way is shown in scripture to be the primary tool of human anger. Everybody knows that our tongues will say unimaginable things in the midst of anger. And so if you claim to be someone who does what your faith is calling you to do, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion or doing what your faith calls you to do in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. James says the genuine way to live out our faith in Jesus, the way to do what God says does lead to his righteousness starts, it starts with caring for what in James's world We're the most helpless of all people, widows and orphans. If you want to know how terrible it was to be a widow or an orphan in James's world, email me and I'll send you some information on that. You cannot imagine what it was like to be a widow or an orphan in his day. And so it only makes sense for us to say that we too, to genuinely show that we are serious about our faith, then we too need to care for the most helpless in our world. 
And so go, to go back to the primary image of our Tidying Up series, it follows that when we clean the anger out of our, the closets in our souls, when we take it out and we throw it away, when we reject the world's system of thinking only about ourselves or putting ourselves above everybody else, when we do that, then we open up space in those closets of our souls to put something back in, in anger's place. And that something can be pure and genuine in the sight of God. It can be caring for others who really need our help. When we do this, we become people who live in ways that do lead to the righteousness of God. So since we know that we should be throwing out our anger, how do we do it? And I want to begin by saying that I'm a pastor. I am not an anger management counselor. But I have some thoughts. First, if there is anger in our lives, then we need to admit it's there. This can be a very hard thing to do. But if it's there, this is a necessary admission. And once we've admitted it, we need to deal with it. There are no, it's just the way I am excuses when it comes to anger. None. Anger, the kind we're talking about, the kind that keeps us from living the way God wants us to live is never excusable. And can I say right off as an aside that if you're one of the people who explodes in anger and scares people unexpectedly or worse, if you do violent things in your anger, please let us help get you to someone who can help you manage this kind of anger. This kind of anger works against everything that God wants for you, everything wants for God, or everything that God wants for the people in your lives, and it works against everything that God wants in his world. If this is you, please let us help you. Get some help. But after admitting that anger is there, one way to start working on cleaning it out is to work on listening. Now, I know this sounds simplistic, but the Greek here in what James says is very telling. He says, be quick, be quick to listen. And that word quick means to be swift, as in really, really fast. Like it's like really fast that you go to listening. And when he says to be slow, in speaking, that word means something more like hesitant or careful or cautious. It's a word that tells us that we need to think a lot about we, before we start talking. And again, James isn't saying anything new related to listening before speaking. I mean, this is common. I looked up a bunch of stuff about other cultures and is to see if they had this kind of, of a proverb. And it seems like every ancient, ancient culture and many, many modern ones all have something that say, you better listen before you speak or be slow to speak and always listen. What it seems to be is that this is wisdom that we all need to be reminded of all the time. I will say one of the best parts about being a person, a people, 
for us being people and not animals is that we can choose to do this or that. We are not controlled by instinctual forces that cause us to do certain things. And believe it or not, we can choose to listen and keep our mouths shut. We don't have to say things that we say in anger, nor do we have to say the things that push other people into anger. Listening and being cautious about what we say can help us better understand the circumstances around us. Listening and being cautious about what we say can keep us from flying off of the handle so quickly. And listening and being cautious about what we say can stop us from taking everything personally, and that's a big one. So often we hear something quickly and then we go after it because we think somebody's out to get us. Let me give you a formula. It's this. Being swift to listen plus being slow to speak equals being slow to get angry. Now, the third thing that we need to focus on is this. We need to live in a way that keeps our eyes on what it truly is to live in the righteousness of God. And this means turning from focusing on ourselves and focusing on those who are in real need. I can promise you that focusing on what calls righteousness, and by the way, the word that gives us righteousness is also equally translated with the word justice. It can go either way. So you could say that if we focus on what God is looking for in justice in the world, it will lead us to a life that's worth living. It will lead us to purpose. It will give us a mission. If you wanna know about what it is to live a life with purpose, just talk to some of our care center volunteers who have turned their focus away from themselves and started looking at the lives and caring for the lives of those who are truly in need. Here's the thing. When we allow human anger to rule over our lives, it leads us into a muddled, confused, self-serving lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that James gave a title to, worthless religion. So if you wanna live a life that does produce the righteousness of God, a life that brings about the justice that God wants in his world, then we all need to do all that we can to toss the anger into the trash and focus on others. And so, here's what I've realized as I've thought about my responses to seeing pictures from 1997. My anger does nothing to change anything from the past. Nothing but it does change things for those around me now. It can certainly make life unpleasant for my family. And this is one realization that really struck me and it can make me tentative in my relationship with you. Because the past makes me wonder if I can trust you. 
And I don't want to live like that. This anger also colors the way I think about the past. The truth is my past has been filled with so much good. There have been so many blessings from God during the years of my life, and yet when I get anger, angry about these circumstances from so long ago, my focus moves to those few people and those few moments when I felt unjustly maligned. And what I realized was that I needed to do some straight up thinking about what it was that I was resentful about and who I was resentful towards and I needed to write it down and I needed to share it with somebody that I trusted and then I needed to throw it in the trash. I can tell you that naming it and tossing it out and not giving it an opportunity to resettle into my soul has done wonders. I've also thrown out the triggers. They're in the trash too. Something I never thought I would have to do, but I needed to stop thinking of the ways that I could justify myself to those people if I saw them again. I needed to stop when I'm mowing the grass and there's a mower making a lot of noise and I have earplugs in and all I'm doing is thinking if I see them at Kroger, I'm ready and I have to stop. I have to stop. After this service, I stop speaking about those times. And I start listening to the voices that are speaking the truth about the goodness that is happening in my life today. And all of this allows me to focus on what is really important. Here is what I've decided. I am only going to get angry in the future about something that God himself was saying, you're joining me in what I'm angry about too. And he's always gonna be angry about something that is related to bringing justice and mercy to those who need mercy and justice. That's what he's gonna be angry about and I only wanna be worked up about that stuff. James was right on the money when he wrote this down. He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your life. He calls anger filth and evil. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's listen to James, okay? Let's listen to him. Let's dig into the task of throwing that anger out of the closets of our souls and into the trash can. Can we do that? Can we begin to restock those closets in our souls with things that God would say are righteous, things that God would say bring justice, 
things that God says are pure and genuine. Can we do that together? Let's do this. Let's tidy up so that we can change the world for Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, this message is personal, Lord. Um, Would you, through the power of your Spirit, strengthen us and give us the courage to deal with the anger in our souls, Lord. And also, Lord, I want to pray that we as a community, Grace Church, that we can in some tangible way minister to those in our wider community who have suffered great loss. Can we in some way um, be a community that fills your world with your love and your care? I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.